you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 34 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now let's dig into history. Guys, thanks so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. And thank you so much for your prayers for me, my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall of Fourth Watch Radio Network, and for my family. I know I say it every every episode, but uh, we are so, so grateful for your prayers and support. And please keep those prayers coming in. We're carried by them. Well, in episode 34, Dan and Wright is back for part two of our series, Jesus Unveiled in the Gospels. And this week we will demonstrate how the Gospel of Mark clearly teaches that Jesus is God. This interview will not only strengthen your faith, but will also serve as a tremendous evangelistic tool in spreading the gospel. Well, y'all, I want to tell y'all about a podcast that is very close to my heart. It's called The Faithful Podcast with Stephanie Baker. Stephanie is my wife. And in each of these shows, she interviews someone that has remained faithful to God in the midst of struggle. And these struggles vary with each podcast and they vary within the podcast, but the faithfulness of God being demonstrated in our lives through his grace, that remains constant. Guys, I also want to tell you about my album, uh, we just have the piano parts to record and, and we've, we've created tracks for those, but we just got to record them now. And, uh, then we'll, we'll send it to mixing and then mastering and pressing. So guys, thank y'all so much for all your, your support and your prayers for that podcast or for that project. And, uh, please continue praying for that project that it'll get out and reach many people for the kingdom of God. Well, if you're blessed by this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave an honest review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at my website, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com, or you can email me at emailphilsbaker at gmail.com. In 2016, I wrote a book called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. You can find this book on Amazon, and if it's a blessing to you, please take a little bit of time and leave an honest review on that site. I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Falls' Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And you can contact BDK at OmegaFrequency.com, and you can send in questions for that Q&A show there. In addition to our own channels, you can find each of our podcasts at fourthwatchradio.com or on the Fourth Watch Radio podcast. And finally, the early Christian quotes that I use can generally be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, and you can purchase your copy for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. All right, without any further ado, let's get into part two of Jesus Unveiled with Dan Enright. All right. Well, this is the second part 
of my interview with Dan Enright on Jesus being unveiled as God in the Gospels. Dan, thanks so much for being back with us. Hey, Phil. Yeah, I'm man. Glad I'm... to be here again. <laughs> Always. Uh, man, I'm glad to have you, and I'm sorry for interrupting you. <laughs> I, just... I may have interrupted you. No, you're good. Did man. I interrupt you? Not Did at I all. Did I interrupt you? Not at, at all. all. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so let's, uh, man, I'm excited to get into Mark and see how Me Mark, too. even from the get go, starts unveiling Jesus as God. Yeah, and kind of running up to this, I, I have to give credit where credit is due um, in terms of um, how how I understand the Gospels now. Mm. And it's a result of reading uh, some of Richard Hayes' material. Yeah. And some of the the thoughts that, that I'm sharing really echo his book called Reading Backwards, mm. Figural Christology and the Fourfold Gospel Witness. This book, like like no other, mm. has has opened my mind and my heart to a, a way of reading the Gospels that has really brought me into a deeper relationship with God. Yeah. And coming to appreciate and love Him for what He's really done. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah. So this it's it's challenging. Yeah. And and it'll take anyone who maybe adheres to a very rigid hermeneutic. Yeah. And it'll challenge you to expand that a yeah. little bit. And especially one of the passages that we look look at in Mark, um, Richard Hayes brought all this out, and it it truly is uh, amazing uh, what he's he's written about in terms of. Uh, reading the Gospels. Yeah. So with Mark, like you're saying, Phil, right off the bat, um, the very beginning uh, of the Gospel in one one, Mark writes the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, written to a Roman audience, which um, something like this could get him killed, right? Yep. Um, <clears throat> and why is that? The emperors were considered... Son of God, and right. in terms of the gospel, it always it was always the emperor who, emperor who would bring good news. They were bringing the gospel, and the emperors in Rome were considered they thought of themselves as Son of God. So yeah, that started with Augustus. Uh huh. Yeah, because he is his father Julius Caesar had that apotheosis, right? Yes, he ascended into godhood, and so by by nature, then Augustus would be the son of God, right? And they would put that on the coinage, and Mark is saying, "Nope." Yeah, <laughs> I, I've got someone else for you to check out. Yeah. Um, so this is a really bold statement the way Mark opens his gospel, and then he quotes from Isaiah, and of course you brought some of these uh, scriptures out in our, our last podcast, yeah, Matthew, and so Mark starts. Just right out of the gate, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So we have kind of an amalgamation of Malachi 3.1, Exodus 23.20, and Isaiah 43. But essentially what Mark is saying is that he appropriates the Isaiah prophecy to characterize John's preparation of the way for the coming of Jesus. Yeah. And we know that in Isaiah, um, the quote here, prepare the way of the Lord, called the Lord 
And so what Mark does is he takes that Isaiah passage and says, okay, I'm putting Jesus in the place of this now and declaring to you that this, the coming of the Lord is equivalent to the coming of, of Jesus. Mm. So right off the bat, Mark makes a, a really bold statement. Yeah. And the, the way Mark proceeds to unveil Christ, so to speak, and again, it's not always the way Jesus speaks. It's not always the way what Jesus does. Sometimes it's the way the gospel writers write. Mm-hmm. What are they intending their readers to think about? Where are they trying to lead their readers in Israel's scriptures? Because again, at this point, all that was available was the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. That's right. And so the way Mark does it is, is unique to Mark. But I'd like to start first in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. And this is the account of the feeding of the the 5,000. And so Mark is really, um, it's, it's, it's intriguing how he inserts certain things, just little ideas that make his, his gospel unique. And, and we know the story of how uh, Jesus uh, fed the masses uh, with the fish and loaves. And I guess we could, we could start by um, reading some of the text, mm. uh, starting in verse 30. Yeah, do it. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Um, and he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Uh, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Um, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And, and I almost, when we, when we look at the corresponding passage in Ezekiel 34, Mark writes as if Jesus is trying to get away. Mm. But when we bring in Ezekiel 34 to correspond to this, it's almost like Jesus is leading them. Mm at the same time. yeah, And so they gathered around him. Um, when he went ashore, he saw the great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So here this shepherd motif mm. is uh, plays into Mark. And he began to teach them many things. The first thing he does is start to teach them. Yeah. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Can I just pause you for a second? Yes. Uh, something just, <laughs> you know, a lot of times in church we hear, feed them first and then teach them. Mm-hmm. He teaches and then feeds them. That's true. Sorry, just a little And in the, in the teaching is feeding <laughs> in and of itself, yeah, right? Right. Um, but yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> he taught. Yeah. Um, where was I? You give them something to eat. Yeah. And, and they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, five and two fish. Okay, this is an interesting uh, detail that Mark puts in, and it's not found in any of the other gospels mm. um, in, this, in this account. Then he commanded them, Jesus, all to sit down in groups on the green grass. That's a detail that Mark adds that's, that's really significant. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, 
a blessing, broke the bread, and so on. So we know that um, everyone who was there ate, and in verse 42, and they all ate, and it says they were satisfied. Yeah. But Mark adds this notion of, of green grass, and that's the time when, when grazing would actually happen in Israel, when, yeah. when, the, when the grass first started showing up. So it's almost, this, it follows the shepherd motif, like the Lord's almost leading them to this place mm. of green grass, of pasture. Mm. And it's a, it's a neat detail that Mark includes, but it, it harkens back to Ezekiel 34, mm. starting in verse 11. Jesus is basically shepherding the people, Jesus himself. And again, we, we, we think about Jesus, again, doing only those things that are ascribed to the God of Israel. Yep. So in Ezekiel 34, 11, it starts out, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered, on a day of clouds and thick darkness, um, referring to judgment in the future. And, then, and down in 15, um, the Lord says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, mm. and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Down in verse 23, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I the Lord will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Mm-hmm. So there's this servant that's past David because this is yeah. Ezekiel. Right. So the Lord is saying, but to start out this, this passage, the, the Lord God of Israel says, I, I myself will do this. Yeah. So Jesus basically enacts this yeah. from Ezekiel 34 in the account of the feeding of the 5,000. And I just love the way that, that Mark puts that detail in there, green grass, even to, you know, shore up that idea of shepherd even more. Right. So that's a, that's a great passage in Mark and, and unique to Mark on how he shows Jesus' divinity and the embodiment of the God of Israel. Yeah, you know, and that kind of harkens back to, <laughs> to Matthew, too, when Matthew, and I'm sorry to cross books up, but... Uh, oh no! Well, it's all he, yeah, yeah. It's all together. Like when he's talking about the Messiah being born, uh, and Herod's asking his his chief priests and scribes where this Messiah is going to be born, and they say to him, "Hey, uh, it's in the scripture, right? Mm, we know exactly mm-hmm. where it's in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what's been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least in the among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." And what's interesting is in Micah, that's the passage they're quoting in Micah, uh, I think, two. Mm-hmm. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, uh, to you, uh, sorry, too little to be among the clans of Judah from from you, one will go forth from me or for me to be a ruler in Israel. His going forths are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So this guy, this ruler, this king who shepherds the people is from eternity. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. There's no mistaking yeah, who that is. He's clearly saying that this Jesus is God, you know, because only God's from eternity. Yes. You know, from everlasting. So sorry to interrupt you, man. No, I mean, that's but, what this is all about, right? Yeah. Doing this podcast, this 
volleying back and forth. That's awesome. Yeah, man. So uh, what's another passage you got from, from Mark? Actually, it's, it's right after this account awesome. of uh, the feeding of the 5,000. This is a... Uh, Mark records an, an occasion where Jesus walks on the water. And this is, this is different from the passage where Jesus calms the storm, mm-hmm. which I think you might talk about. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. But this is, this is something totally different, where, where Jesus is seen uh, literally walking on the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. So in Mark uh, 6.45, and again, there's a detail that Mark puts in here that is so interesting and so unique. By wanting to pass them by? Yes. <laughs> like he's pranking them. Yeah. <laughs> Suckers! <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. But yeah, but um, that is going to come into play in a huge way yeah. when we think about Mark and his style of <clears throat> showing Jesus to be, again, yeah. in the words of Richard Hayes, yeah. the embodiment of the God of Israel. Yeah. Um, so in verse 45 of Mark 6, immediately he made, his way, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he alone on the land. And when he saw they were making headway painfully, uh, for the wind was against them. Uh, And about the fourth watch of the night, which is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., so these guys were going at it for a while and not getting anywhere. Right. Uh, He came to them walking on the sea. And Mark adds this detail. He meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. And again, immediately spoke to them, take heart, don't be afraid. He got into the boat, wind ceased. Um, They were astounded. But what Mark is, is trying to draw in for his readers is actually found in the book of Job, chapter Mm. 9, where Mark records Jesus walking on the sea and this detail he meant to pass them by. So if we go to Job chapter 9, this is a section of Job um, where Job is replying to one of his uh, so-called friends (laughs) Um, and um, basically saying, there is no arbiter between between God and man. And, and in Job's answer, we could do a bunch of detail and background leading up to this. But the the real point of this passage is Job is starts to describe who God is, how mm. mysterious he is, how incomprehensible he is. Yeah. So in verse 2, he says, Truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him... One could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has hardened himself against him and succeeded. He who removes mountains, and they know it not, when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens. And in in the ESV... Um, this next uh, part of this verse says, and trampled the waves of the sea. Yeah. When we look to the Septuagint, which is the Bible that 
probably was most in use in the first century mm. among the, the disciples. Yeah. The, the literal translation from the Septuagint says, um, he who walks upon the sea as upon dry land. Yeah. And so we have Jesus doing this in the account in, in Mark. And then Job goes on to say, who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. And here's that verse uh, in Job that Mark just throws in there, mm. almost as an aside. Verse 11, behold, he passes me by and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Mm. And again, the Septuagint literally leads, reads, he passes me by, which is the same language that Mark uses. Yeah. When he interjects that, he meant to pass them by. Yeah. So what Mark is doing is he's taking his readers back to this passage in Job. Mm. And all this is attributed to the one God, the God of, of Israel. Yeah. And so it's a confession when, when Job writes about, he walks upon the seas as upon dry land. It's a confession of God's mysterious transcendence of human comprehension. Yeah. That's uh, Richard Hayes. And they and, don't get it. And they don't get it. Like he passes them by, but they're not perceiving who he is. That's right. And so like the confession of faith that comes a couple chapters later with, with Peter, they're like, Jesus is like, so who do people say that I am? Right. Like, well, some say John the Baptist. Some, you know, yeah, that's the they, perfect connection. I don't know. Like they're not, they're still not getting who he is, even though he's walking on the water. That's right. Yeah. So it was Mark's intention to take his readers' minds back to this. Yeah. And, and again, saying what Jesus is doing mm. Um, is only ascribed to the God of Israel. Yeah. So there's another way that that Mark brings in this idea of the divinity of Jesus Christ. And again, we're just we're just covering a couple passages. Yeah. Right. right? And yeah. this kind of stuff is just littered through these gospels. Yeah. So when we think of uh, the the notion of a low Christology in the Synoptics, yeah, it just it's not true. That's right. It's not there. Well, sticking with that water theme, you were kind of hitting on the uh, Mark 4 passage of Jesus quieting the storms. So I'm going to read that. Uh, that's Mark uh, 4, 35. This is after he tells all the, the parables about the kingdom. He says, uh, Mark writes, On that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Hey, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And leaving the crowd, they took Jesus along with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, right? This horrible storm. And the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up with water. Jesus himself, though, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And there are so many parallels here to uh, the story with Jonah. And, mm. You know, it's, it's just so clear. Mm. Um, You're going to start preaching. Oh, my gosh. I mean... <laughs> I got to stop. <laughs> and they woke him up and they said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And he got up and he rebuked the wind. He like muzzled it, right? The same word that's used for what he does to demons, how he muzzles the demons. He, he rebukes mm -hmm. the demons. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And here's, uh, and then Jesus said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the waves, the sea, obey him? And that's really Mark's like, Are you getting it yet, guys? <laughs> you know, he's mm -hmm. saying to his audience, like, Two, 
who is him, who is he to you? Is he really who he is to you? You know, is he really God to you? Because only God can do that. How do we know that? And that goes back to Psalm 107, starting in verse right. 21. Uh, the psalmist says, "Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness." And for his wonders to the sons of men, let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at the wit, and they were at their wits end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Don't you care? You know? mm-hmm. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. Distress. How? Well, he caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders toward the sons of men. So you're reading the Mark passage again, right? That's it. You know, like it's like (laughs) word for word almost. You know, it's it's right there very clearly. This is the Lord. This is Yahweh who does that. Yeah. And oh, go ahead. No, no, no. You do it. You do it. Well, again, that's another instance where Mark is saying that Jesus possesses a power mm. that is ascribed only to the God of Israel Yeah, in Psalm 107. That's right. And um, it's powerful. And if I could like interject something. Yeah. Uh, when we were in Israel, it was our first visit. Uh, we were staying in Tiberias on the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is not big at all. It's probably about 13 miles long, maybe six, seven miles uh, at its widest point. Yeah. And... You, you read this text in Mark, and, and, and then you look at this lake, basically, and you're going, how can a storm like whip up, a storm of that intensity yeah. uh, whip up like that? Uh, but the way the winds uh, carry That's over right. there. And, and it's really interesting. We were walking on uh, promenade uh, one night, and there was this plaque that was kind of set off from the, the piers, the promenade yeah. itself. And I was like, I want to go check that out. So I went over to look at it. And it was actually a um, uh, a memorial. Huh. And back in the 30s, uh, there was a storm that came over the Sea of Galilee, and it it basically caused a tidal wave that wow. that went up into Tiberias, and it killed like hundreds of people. Goodness. And so the the storms that occur on the Sea of Galilee are yeah. tremendous, treacherous. And it was yeah. just interesting to see that. I took a picture of it so I could I could have it. But uh, it was a memorial for all those who lost their lives in, in the 30s when this just mammoth storm hit the lake. Gosh. Yeah. Wow. So, Well, continuing with that idea uh, of this Jesus possess, possessing a power that's only ascribed to God, you, you see that in Mark chapter 2 as well. Mm. And oh, yes. This is the power to forgive sins. So Jesus is gathered, you know, in his... In, in Galilee, in this home, and it's filled with Pharisees and scribes, teachers of the law. And there's, they're gathered so tightly that there's no room, <laughs> not even at the door. And as he's speaking, uh, these men, these four men, go through the roof. They lower down a paralyzed man. Um, 
And you can just imagine <laughs> that scene. That would have been just incredible. So they lower him down on this pallet. And as Jesus sees the men's faith, those four men's faith, he says to the one man, the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And so some of the scribes are sitting there and they're thinking in their hearts, they're reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak this way? He's blaspheming who can forgive sins, but God alone. So they recognize right there. If this man is not God, he can't forgive sins, right? Right. Only God. The logic is solid. Yeah. And we're going to get to that theme of blasphemy later, I'm sure, uh, in John. Um, but every time you see this guy being accused of blasphemy, it's, it's because he's comparing himself to God. Every time you see Jesus accused of blasphemy. And they know it. And he's saying it in a Jewish way. We may not get it as, as English-speaking American people. But Jesus' audience got it right there. They, they know right off. Jesus is calling himself, he's equating himself with God. And so even though Jesus didn't hear them audibly saying that, he knows our hearts and he knew their hearts. And so he said, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your, son, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your pallet and walk? And clearly, the easier thing would be to say, your sins are forgiven, right? Because yeah. no one can know. There's no verification. <laughs> yeah, but if he, <clears throat> if he steps me. up and he says, get up and walk, then that would prove that he's able to forgive sins. Absolutely. So he says, so that you may know the Son of Man, hearkening back to Daniel 7, so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And immediately the man picked up his pallet and he went out in the sight of everyone. And so they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Hmm. And he went out again by the seashore and all the people were coming to him and he's teaching them. So he proved that he had the ability to forgive sins and they glorify God because of it. What's missing, the... The main thing missing in their response, no one asks for their sins to be forgiven. <laughs> right? That's a good observation. He just proved to them that. And they're like, wow, that's incredible. He proved to them that he's God and he, he can forgive sins and transform lives. But none of them ask for their sins for, are forgiven. And so as we wind down this episode of Mark, um, has Jesus, has God demonstrated to you his power? Has he done something miraculous in your life or in the life of someone else that you know of? If he has, he's proving to you that he is God. And, and we're proving it to you through the scriptures as well, that he's calling himself to be God. And so I want to ask you, you know, are you wrestling with anything today? Don't just be amazed at Jesus being proved in the Gospels, you know, as God. Don't just stand there amazed by that. If God's done a miracle in your life, don't just stand there amazed by that. But you can come to Him today and ask Him to forgive your sins and to change your life. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just like He did to that paralytic, He can do to you today. He can totally transform your life around if you surrender to Him and let Him be your King. Give your life to Him just like He gave His life for you. All right, Dan, thanks so much for, uh, for hanging with me this episode on Thank Mark. You, Phil. Yeah, looking, to, looking forward to... Exciting stuff. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to Luke, man. This is going to be great. It's just, yes, sir. It's going to be awesome. So, all right, we'll see you next week, guys. God bless you. 
Thou art, and then sings my soul. 